Spring training is underway, and fantasy draft and auction activity is starting to pick up as well, so it's a good time to delve into auction strategy. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. I have not had the three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, February 24th. Al Melker here with Derek Van Riper. So DVR, we've got our first weekend of exhibition games in the books. Um, you know, even as we get in later in the uh, spring training portion of the season, um, I'm sure you do this too, but I'm always cautioning myself and others to not read too much into spring training results. So I'm going to ask, you know, possibly the most ridiculous question that I'll ask all year. Uh, any takeaways? from the first couple of days of spring training games. Yeah, I think uh, AJ Puck just having premium velocity and showing a changeup that he was not showing down the stretch last season. That was one of the takeaways for me from uh, the first couple of days of games so far. Uh, I'm looking for process-related things. Pitchers throwing new pitches, velocity changes, uh, hitters maybe working on a swing adjustment. Miguel Andujar hit a home run. That in and of itself doesn't matter, but for a guy that missed most of last season with a shoulder injury, it just makes me feel good to see him out there early in the spring and and doing the things he was doing pre-surgery. So I'm looking for just things like that that are good signs, but not necessarily actionable in and of themselves. Right. So yeah, there are pieces of data that we can then combine with other pieces of data as we get deeper into spring training. So with pitchers now going really just one or two innings in a start, uh, there's not too much we can tell. And yeah, you probably picked on the one thing that that was the most notable, which was the velocity that we saw from AJ Puck. So that was certainly certainly a good thing to see. But uh, we'll certainly delve into that more as we do get deeper into spring training. But uh, let's hit a couple of news items first. And uh, let's start with the Mets really sort of picking up where we left off on a recent show DVR where we were talking about there being maybe a log jam or, or two. Uh, the Mets roster, and this just is going to add to it. This, this is a report from Tim Healy of Newsday. He talked to Jonas Cespedes, and Cespedes thinks that on his current pace, he could be ready for opening day, and as it is right now, he's slated to start playing in Grapefruit League games by mid-March. So that's not really a whole lot of runway to get to opening day, but it's a possibility. It's something I didn't really consider is likely uh, just a couple of days ago. So what do you do with this potential news uh, from Johannes Cespedes? Does, uh, does this affect anybody's stock in your estimation? I think the big loser continues to be J.D. Davis through the trickle-down effect of having a more crowded outfield with Cespedes you know, likely healthy as the season begins. And I can't emphasize this enough, but Ioannis Cespedes is good. He's been at least 21% better than a league average hitter in each of the last four major league seasons where we've seen him on the field. Like That's a really good player. That's a guy you'd prioritize to have in the lineup every day, but also in the heart of the lineup too. So if he's the player he was before his run-in with the wild boar at his farm, this becomes a situation where Ioannis Cespedes could be a late dart in mixed leagues that actually pays off and gives you a league-winning sort of player. I mean, that's within the range of outcomes. Now, he doesn't have to do that to be useful, 
But if they carve out enough of a role for him, I can't rule it out completely. I think the one thing we got to keep in mind after the one-year layoff, we're talking about a guy who's now 34 years old. So the decline could be kicking in. He could be closer to an average-type hitter. But he's always had power. He's always chipped in a little bit of speed. And in each of the last five seasons we've seen him, Yohannes Cespedes has hit 260 or better. So he's never really been a batting average liability in the last five years either. Yeah, well, I think that this is a situation where that term dart throw is probably more apt than just about any other. Because on the one hand, you're right. He has been very good for for several years. But I just I don't know if it's fair to really expect I know nobody's going to be drafting Yohannes Cespedes, you know, with the very strict expectation that he's going to go right back to where he left off. But even as a late round dart throw, uh, is he somebody I want to prioritize, you know, over somebody like I don't know Nick Madrigal um, or, you know, somebody who's going to come up later in the year or somebody who's going to start this year, but without a, a much of a track record, but with some, some ceiling, where does, you know, Cespedes fit in with those kinds of options? Because yes, there's the track record of consistent quality, but there's the one year layoff. There's the seriousness of the injury. There is, as you mentioned, DVR where he is on the age curve. Uh, I just feel like the range of outcomes for Cespedes are probably is great or greater than for any other player I can think of top of mind. Uh, I think that's a fair statement. I mean, we're still talking about a player who prior to missing all of 2019 played 119 games for the Mets in the previous two seasons combined. So there are major injury issues that he's dealt with aside from an entirely lost campaign a year ago. I think if you're in a league where at least 300 players are selected on draft day, Cespedes deserves to be taken in the last round of a draft like that, or at least he's just he's a good dart throw, as you said before. Uh, I think the appeal of throwing the dart at someone else like Nick Madrigal is that you might get speed instead. And Cespedes, while he might get you a handful of bags, he's not going to get you double-digit steals. That's just not who he's going to be at this stage <laughs> right. of his career. So it kind of depends on what you need. If you're power light, you're looking for someone who could end up hitting in the heart of a batting order and a good batting order, really. If you look at the Mets, I think it's at least a top six or top seven that's an above-average lineup at this point. He's one of those guys that could actually be a good contributor, a positive contributor in runs, RBIs, homers, and possibly even batting average as well. Yeah, well, I like that framing a lot because it, the the choices can be a little overwhelming as you get into the final rounds of drafts. And so if you think about it in terms of need, maybe more so than floor or ceiling, uh, that can help you sort through the options a lot better. So I think that's that's good to uh, good to think about. And we'll look at some dilemmas now on the pitching side created by some news in regards to the Dodgers rotation. This from Jorge Castillo of the Los Angeles Times that Dave Roberts says that Already this early in spring training, he's made the decision. Julio Arias is going to be in the Dodgers rotation. So a rotation that just a few days ago looked like it could have gone any number of ways. It looks like it's pretty well set now. Uh, I would assume that Alex Wood is probably in because we know also from this report, Dave Roberts says that Dustin May and Tony Gonzalez are not going to be in the opening day rotation uh, and that May... Uh, well, actually, I should clarify this. Tony Gonzalez, I think, is not going to be in the rotation. But May, if he's not going to be in the rotation, will go to the minors. He's not going to the bullpen, whereas Gonzalez, he has that option where he could start with the team on opening day, most likely in a relief role. But 
so there's a lot there, but it sure seems like that rotation is probably pretty well locked in right now. So how do we deal with all these players involved? Arias, Alex Wood, Gonzalez, Dustin May. Uh, does this change how you would approach any of them uh, if you were drafting tomorrow? Uh, not really. I, I think the way this team has been set up for about five years now has been pretty consistent. They have a few potential aces up top with Bueller and Kershaw a former ace in David Price, albeit one who's dealt with some injury issues and isn't necessarily a lock to uh, be 175 or 180 innings the way he might have been earlier in his career. And Urias is a guy that only threw 81 and two-thirds innings a year ago. I think he had one rehab outing at high A and then 79 and two-thirds at the Dodgers. So I don't think I expect more than 135 innings from him during the regular season with the Dodgers expected to run away at the NL West. They're going to probably manage his innings pretty carefully late in the year. So you have to factor that into the equation as well. Uh, I think you're going to see opportunities for the sixth, the seventh, and possibly the eighth starter on this team. It's sort of a matter of what kind of league are you playing in and how much are the non-rotation members to begin the season discounted? Because sometimes in NL-only leagues, you get a really nice deal on a Ross Stripling, or in this case, a Dustin May, and you only get eight to 10 starts. You get some bullpen innings, but the quality of those innings is actually worth waiting for when you're talking about maybe 3 or $4 late in the auction. Um, so I, I think this is a really well-built team yet again. They've got plenty of depth. They took a lottery ticket on Jimmy Nelson too, but he's one of the few guys listed as a starter right now who I actually don't want even in the deepest possible leagues because I think it's going to take a lot for him to get the opportunity um, so they just have a few guys that have been hurt a lot the last couple of years, actually, between Kershaw, Price, Urias, and Alex Wood. I mean, Alex Wood's back was a, a major problem last year, so you have to wonder if if that's going to be an issue for him again in 2020. Yeah, so a few of the names maybe are a little different, but the situation is very familiar. That we've got some pitchers that can pitch in different roles, pitchers that are at risk for having their innings limited, and it's a situation that that probably in some way winds up working out for everybody. So, um, you know, I think that's good advice to uh, keep, keep them all on your radar, uh, you know, especially in some deeper formats. So uh, DVR, this was a busy weekend for me with auctions. Uh, really my, my first really busy weekend in terms of drafts and auctions. I had, had two, uh, two of my auctions this weekend, just completed one a little bit before recording here. And, um, you know, getting back to the Dodgers, one of my auctions was an NL only. It's a CBS analyst league. And it was really cool because I was able to get Mookie Betts and David Price on my NL only team. That felt really weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about auction strategy. We'll, I'm sure, come back to this topic again and again over the, the coming days and weeks. But this this particular auction presented a, a real kind of analytical dilemma for me because I went into it with the, just the decision that I was going to try a stars and scrub strategy in a, it's a very deep format. It's NL only knowing that this might not go so well. So uh, the, the good news is that I did succeed at getting a lot of stars on my roster. I got bets. I got price. I got Freddie Freeman, Cattell Marte, Trey Turner, Wilson Ramos, Luis Castillo is my staff ace. So when I look at that part of my roster, I'm like, wow, I did great. <laughs> and then I look at the fact that I basically did not get a starting third baseman and 
not a lot of outfield and, and starting pitching depth beyond that. So it truly is stars and scrubs. And I, you know, relayed you kind of the short version of this, and you said, "Well, I've won uh, NL labor twice with a, a similar strategy." So, how did you make that work? I think the key in mono leagues is if you're going to go stars and scrubs, when you throw your cheap darts at the end of your roster you need to find guys who end up playing a lot more than people are expecting them to. Ideally, they're higher ceiling guys like early arriving prospects. So for me last year in NL Labor, I had Keston Hira, I had Austin Riley, uh, and I had Luis Urias. And I think I spent a combined maybe $12 on those three players. And I spent most of that 12 on Urias because I thought he was going to get the most playing time. As it Mm -hmm. turned out, Hira I think was the most valuable of the bunch Riley, when he came up, was amazing, and Urias was just kind of okay. Uh, But what also worked was that in reserve, I think you can throw darts on guys like Jed Lowry, who we talked about on an episode Mm -hmm. last week. Last year, it was Howie Kendrick and Kevin Newman, guys who just kind of quietly emerged to take on larger roles than expected. That can definitely work, and the way your offense is built, I wouldn't worry about not having enough outfield depth. I think the team I had last year had Rymel Tapia and Alex Verdugo as the fourth and fifth outfielders. Those were guys who didn't have starting jobs of their own going into the season. I mean, Tapia especially was a true bench outfielder. Verdugo got hurt and missed a bunch of time, and it still worked out. You you tend to find playing time in the outfield especially, so if I'm going to be a little bit light on playing time, that's definitely a position where I'm okay with that. Uh, Starting pitcher depth is kind of interesting because you can – take some chances. You can go after some guys who don't have a job right now. Some of those Dodgers pitchers we just talked about, they fit so well in that format because you know the 70 or 80 innings you're probably going to get from them and possibly you get more. Those 70 or 80 innings are going to be above average in terms of ratios and possibly in terms of strikeout rate as well. So I think you did really well uh, at being you know weak with a prospect or maybe even two at a position is totally fine because if you end up with guys that get called up, especially in mid-April or even by like the middle part of May, if you could just stay afloat for the first month, first month and a half of the season, the payoff can be big on those young players once they get locked into everyday roles. Yeah, it's it's certainly a bit of a risk and definitely a nail-biting waiting game to see if that works out. But uh, yeah, that was basically the approach that I, I took. And um you know, you talked about your fourth and fifth outfielders. My outfield is Betts, uh, Hayward, Senzel. And so I've got a little bit of risk there with Nick Senzel, you know, with, with uh, how much he's going to play and how healthy he'll be. And then my four and five were Jalen Davis and Tim Locastro with Lane Davis as my utility who could be uh, an outfielder. So I kind of made those kind of bets on players that I thought that would play more than certainly projections would would suggest. So I'm I'm a little more encouraged now, but I guess that's you know that's a blueprint you could use to make this work. Um, all right, well, like I said before, we will certainly talk more, a lot more about both uh, draft and auction strategy uh, through the coming days and weeks. But uh, before we wrap this one up, let me uh, head on over to our featured read. And this one is going to be really helpful for those of you in Dynasty Leagues. It's actually a pair of columns from John Sickles, Building for the Future, Long-Term Dynasty League Pitcher Investments, and then also Long-Term Dynasty 
uh, hitter investments. So a pair of really helpful comments for John Sickles that I'm going to be leaning on in the next couple of days with my slow uh, Dynasty League draft. So uh, do check that out. And for now, we're going to uh, wrap up this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And everything that we do is included with your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would certainly appreciate it if you took the time to leave those for us. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker. We'll be back here on Tuesday with the return of Michael Beller. Michael Beller.